You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. Welcome to the show. I'm Andy Hagens, and today's topic is at the cutting edge of the alternative investment industry because we're talking about investment grade diamonds. And joining me is Cormac Kinney, founder and CEO at Diamond Standard. Cormac, welcome to the show. Great to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, pun intended, cutting edge. You know, I'm a father of five, <laughs> oldest is 10. So I give myself a little leeway. Uh, but you know, this, I, I thought this was so interesting. I had no idea this was now a regulated commodity. I think, you know, our audience, we have a lot of financial advisors, a lot of high net worth investors and family offices who are used to alternative investments, who are used to, I don't want to say the weird stuff, but, you know, kind of the the more out there stuff that a lot of people don't know about. But this was brand new to me. That's one of the reasons I love my job is I get to cover, you know, new asset classes, lots of interesting things. But I feel like we need a backstory with diamonds as an investment commodity. Uh, could you give us a little bit of the history of this as an asset class? Yeah. So you mentioned something interesting. You said investment grade diamonds. And and historically, what that meant was like a blue diamond or a pink diamond. And, and people would sell these via Sotheby's and Christie's through these auctions. Mm-hmm. And these auctions, you know, you could, that's how family offices were investing in diamonds. And when you auction a blue diamond, you know what that diamond's worth. Plus, you pay about a 25% uh, auction premium and commission to, to the firm. But you don't know what every other blue diamond is worth. And so the problem with diamonds has always been that they're all a little bit different. So it's like fine art. It's, you know, I can buy a Picasso painting and use comps from another Picasso painting, but they're they're each a unique painting, right? They're not really a fungible commodity. Exactly. So fungible is the key. And if you look at gold, silver, platinum, all of those precious metals are fungible. And there's a standard, for example, that's used on the CME to trade gold bars or on the LBMA. And in the US, that's a 400 ounce bar. And it can be plus or minus a little bit, but and they price it per, per ounce. But because of that, Gold was always easy to trade, and you always knew what it was worth. It could be marked to market every day. And for a lot of investors, especially public funds like an ETF or a lot of pensions, they need to be able to mark to market their investments, and they can't have friction you know, where it costs you 25% every time you want to trade something. Right. So because of that, diamonds were always just out of reach to any kind of family office investor or a an RIA firm couldn't recommend them to her, their clients because there's no way to mark the market there was no way to trade there was no price discovery and turns out diamonds are a 1.2 trillion dollar market which means and I'm talking about the amount of diamonds that are above ground mm-hmm. that's more than all of the silver in the world all of the platinum all of the palladium combined so diamonds were always left out compared to those metals, but they're very interesting because they have this return history that's that's interesting and and it's uncorrelated to other assets. And we think now diamonds time is the time has come for diamonds. 
Yeah, I mean, your company is really at the at the forefront, the cutting edge, again, pun intended, of changing really the the how the asset class is known, maybe will be known, because I, I think probably we're in the first or second inning of this change that's happening. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think we're at the first pitch. Okay. <laughs> um, and we got a hit. So um, the the foundation of Diamond Standard is, you, you said investment grade. We've changed what is the definition of investment grade. And before that was, you know, diamonds of a certain extreme quality, but that's not representative of diamonds as an asset class. So what we invented, and it's through computer science, is we found a way to make a fungible commodity. It looks like this. These are diamond standard bars, and the diamonds are inside the bar. And the breakthrough is that these bars are always not identical, but they're always equivalent, mm. which means they always contain a mix of carat weight, color, clarity, all the different factors of diamonds, and they're always optimized so that those factors always add up to be equivalent. And we also have a coin, but between these two, you'll notice that the coins are much smaller diamonds than, than the bars. But between the two of these, we use over 93% of all the different sizes of diamonds and qualities of diamonds that you find in a jewelry store. So our commodities actually represent very precisely the overall aggregate diamond market. And because the bars are always identical, they all trade at the same price. The price goes up and down, but like a gold bar, you can buy it and sell it at a public market price. So investment grade, really the standardization here is a, a key aspect of this. And by the way, most of the audience of this show is audio. And I want to make sure to remind our audience we're on YouTube as well. And, um, you know, these things look amazing, you know, it, it'll be in the video. So feel free to check out our YouTube channel if you're listening to this on audio. And Cormac, I should mention, you know, this is, I, I believe, the most popular show in the world covering alternative investments. So I don't want to brag. I'm kind of an influencer. If you want to sell me, uh, send me any of these bars to review, <laughs> you, know, on, on the, you know, I'm happy to happy to always review things. So. We'll um, see how the interview goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you know, I could just just looking at that, you know, as a physical object, you can kind of you can touch it, you can feel it, and I I think in the world of alternative investments, that is kind of that that's a big deal. That's that's a game changer, right? For a lot of people, they want to own an asset physically, and then there are others who 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 just know now that I see that the asset is fungible, is standardized in this manner. Now I want to invest in it, but they, they might actually have no interest in investing in it physically, right? Because storage sure. costs, insurance. So we're going to get to all that later because I know you have different options for investors to actually invest in this. Um, but you mentioned the market size and how it was bigger than, I think it was silver, palladium, platinum combined. Is that is that the size of like the overall retail value of these markets? Because my guess is from an investment standpoint, that diamonds are 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 way down the the ladder in terms of the the investable type market or yeah and actually that's what drew me to the asset class you know i was a former quantitative trader for paul tudor jones so very famous commodities trader and if you look at silver or platinum or gold I mean, gold is really unique in the world but take platinum 
uh, 17% of all the platinum in the world is owned by investors. It's sitting in a, it's in a bar on a shelf in a vault. And why people use that platinum as a store of wealth, mm -hmm. right? It's a hedge against inflation. It's a speculative investment. You know, platinum demand can rise with catalytic converters, for example. Right. But interestingly, you know, obviously platinum bars can't go bankrupt the way a stock or a bond can. And that's why precious metals throughout the ages have always been in demand by investors. And, and it turns out if you take air, any of the precious metals, like even rhodium, which is pretty uncommon, at least 15% of all the rhodium in the world is owned by investors who want those benefits. But diamonds, because they've been left out, only a, between 1% and 2% of diamonds are held by investors. And that is the opportunity. We believe now that diamonds are becoming listed on the CME, we have approval for a, a futures contract with a, 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 a exchange called the MJEX, which will list on the CME Globex. But now but, that we have- Cormac, I'm sorry to interrupt there, I, but, but the fact that you're going to be on the CME with that futures, I mean, that's kind of what drew me in yeah. because I'll be, I'll be honest, I get- pitched, you know, being the host of this show, I get pitched on asset classes that I've never really encountered before that seem a little, you know, that seem new to me. And my default answer is usually kind of no, or, or in the sense that, um, I don't want to say mistrustful, but there's just, there's a lot of stuff out there that I, you know, I don't necessarily want to be, um, you know, uh, <laughs> implying that folks should invest in Yeah, your, your company has all of these external uh, kind of stamps of of approval, you know, being on the CME, like that's that's a very big deal. Has anyone even tried to do that before? Or you're you're the first oh, company. They've tried for thirty years. They've okay. they've uh, tried to create diamond indices and and listings, and they've all failed because in in fact there was an interesting episode in the eighties where a group made one carat D flawless diamonds into an investment product. And of course, what happened is that that one type of diamond, which is one out of millions, those went up to $70,000 a carat, and every other diamond stayed around $12,000 a carat. So we cracked that code by creating this fungible unit. And it was really never possible before optimization and automated market making and all the technology that we use we also, you know, a lot of the things I imagine what you're referring to are a lot of the crypto nonsense out there. I believe in hard assets. I believe in an economic substance in my investments or using, you know, equity to create a business. I don't believe in all this crypto nonsense, but this is a hard asset. And the opportunity we think is that because we have things like the CME futures coming soon, we also have applied for an ETF with the New York Stock Exchange. We believe that diamonds will catch up with platinum, meaning that right now it's 2% owned by investors. We think that becomes 15%. And if investors acquire 15% of diamonds the way they own 15% of every other precious metal, we think that drives the price up by four to five times what it is currently. Yeah, I mean, in a way, just uh, intuitively, I would think that makes the diamond market, in a way, a safer 
place to invest all all else being equal right yeah. if it's more weighted to retail and to the actual usage of the commodity versus i don't want to say speculation but the higher percent of a commodity is owned by investors or traders or speculators you know that i think that adds a lot of potential volatility you know and correlation yeah so your company you know I, I went through some of your literature and you've identified that you've innovated in three specific areas and and by the way you know every company claims to do innovation i mean, i think you all actually have right and and we've already kind of covered fungibility which was one of the three uh and then we alluded to governance, but I want to talk a little bit more about the governance aspect. So where have you innovated in the area of governance in this market? Yeah. So governance was critical. And, you know, before we even launched the commodity, we actually had to search the world to find a regulator that would oversee what we're producing because we always produced this with the intention of, of an ETF and futures mm -hmm. and, and listed products. And of course, we first were based in New York City. We went to the CFTC in Washington. And it turns out that the CFTC is not permitted to regulate commodities. They can only regulate commodity futures and derivatives and, and exchanges. So they said, we love what you're doing, but we can't regulate a diamond bar. We ended up finding Bermuda. And people always, they think it's like a... a a lax regulator, that's that's absolutely untrue. Bermuda regulates about 40% of the global insurance industry. And they're a monetary authority and they, they have stock markets, et cetera. So they're considered a world-class regulator. And, and by law, the US SEC recognizes Bermuda registrations. It's, it's a, considered a peer regulator. Mm. So it took us two years, but we finally convinced Bermuda to oversee everything that we do all of our diamond buying, our optimization, the way we make the bars, all of our custody, all of our offerings are overseen by the BMA. And once we had that stamp of approval, we were able to get Deloitte as our auditor. So Deloitte is our internal auditor. They review all of our processes and, and report that to the BMA. So we're extremely regulated in the issuance. More recently, our commodities are, as I mentioned, they're approved as good for delivery for CFTC regulated futures and options. So we have the futures and options approved through licensees, but uh, this, even though the CFTC doesn't directly approve any individual commodities. Understood. Yeah, and that that kind of governance, you know, and obviously the the firm that you have, you know, with Deloitte doing the auditing, I think it just brings a lot more trust. You know, um, because, it, you know, with alternatives, you know, sometimes there's stuff going on and it's kind of the wild west of alternatives. It's not all bad, right? I, I love the fact that there are asset managers and entrepreneurs that are kind of pushing the envelope and finding new investable asset classes. Uh, but at the same time, then, you know, there's there's always dangers, you know, in different spaces. There's bad actors in some spaces and alternatives. You'll have... Um, you know, asset managers that kind of mucked things up in the 80s or 90s or 2000s. And it's only just now in 2023 where investors are kind of coming back around and trusting it again. So I think that kind of governance um, 
very, very important. The third area where you mentioned uh, your, your materials rather mentioned innovation, transparency. So could, could you talk a little bit about the transparency with your products? Yeah. So that that's the other critical aspect because once these diamonds are in a bar, who the knows what they are, if it's fair, if they're, if they're aggregate. So we actually make everything public that, you know, when we buy the diamonds, that's transparent. We don't own any diamonds. People think you know, we're not, we don't, we don't have a, a dog in the fight on the value of diamonds. We actually have no interest. We don't, we don't, we're an agency. So we make a little 3.5% spread, but we don't have a, uh, an opinion on the prices of diamonds. And so because of that, we're utterly transparent when we buy diamonds and to make everything public, all the data about every bar, for example, the certificates for every diamond, where how they were bought on our exchange, the provenance, all of that information we publish on a blockchain and we also program it into the bar. There's actually a wireless computer chip in the bar. So all of the information that tells you the details about every uh, bar, diamond bar, is, is permanently recorded and we can never change it. That's the be one benefit of the blockchain is you can't go back and edit it the way you can a database. And so that transparency provides confidence to the investors that they know what's in the bar, they're able to authenticate it 100 years from now, and we can back up the equivalence and prove that this bar is the same as that bar, for example, and that they always add up to the public standard. So that transparency was a key part of it. We actually have the world's only regulatory license for a commodity token. And that token is what stores all that information. And what's interesting is that when the diamond bar is delivered to a vault like Brinks, that token is issued from the bar. And now whoever owns that token, it's a vault receipt. That person owns the bar sitting in the vault. We have the world's only regulatory license for commodity tokens. And that token is, uh, it will be deliverable to the, C to the CME, for example, to settle the futures contract. So that's a pretty big breakthrough. Interesting. Yeah, because, you know, using the blockchain, using tokens uh, as title to a commodity or to, to an asset, that's an area that's been explored so much, talked about so much, but rarely actually implemented, you know, certainly not in a way that is is governed by a, you know, recognized financial or commodities authority. Um, you know, so that that's an area where I feel like a lot of companies are probably going to want to model what you have done. And it, it's also, it, it's interesting to me that, you know, I talk to so many folks who try to get things approved by regulators or even are, are trying to get ETFs approved and they keep getting no's, you're finding a way to get yeses. Do you think you'll get a yes on, on an ETF? Oh, for sure. So it's, it's very simple. It's not controversial, like a Bitcoin ETF, mm -hmm. you know, um, we actually already have approval. We, we're, it's not, it's a confidential approval. We can't disclose it yet, but we do have approval for an ETF in a certain country. It's not the US, uh, but in another country we do. Um, and it was not that complicated because we just had to prove that the bars are sitting in a vault in that country. 
They can be audited by an auditor, just like a gold ETF. And then the only question is, is there transparent pricing? And having a listing on the CME solves that question very definitively. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to get an approval for an ETF. Now you, you want to see what sufficient liquidity on that futures listing, right? But I presume there will be sufficient liquidity there given the given the size, the monstrous size of this market, right? We think so. It it takes some time to scale up over over time. But uh, as long as you have a national market price, there doesn't have to be an extreme depth of liquidity to mark to market um, for accounting purposes. And because the assets of the this initial ETP is a, a closed end fund structure, so it doesn't have this daily buying and selling that is it would require a greater depth of uh, depth of liquidity. Understood. Okay, now we talked a little bit earlier in, in this conversation, the bull case for diamonds as an investment, as an investable commodity. You know, you mentioned a very small percentage of the overall market value being held by investors or traders, speculators, you know, in the financial aspect of the market. Uh, but I want to speak a little bit to the 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 other part of the market. Is it primarily uh what what's the word jewelry demand versus industrial or, or you know because i know yeah. for instance with precious metals there's sometimes there are you know multiple sources of demand you mentioned catalytic converters um so is there is there more to the demand with these type of diamonds is there industrial demand as well as uh, is it called jewelry demand yeah help so me out with my verbiage here over 99 percent of jewel of diamond demand is for jewelry okay very very little for industrial especially by value. You know, there may be a huge volume of industrial diamonds, okay. but they cost a penny. You know, they're like little shards or chips used, okay. you know, for drill bits. And um, so 99% of the value is certainly jewelry. Now, however, we've actually believed that we've created a new use case for diamonds that we've, we haven't really announced it. We, we've kind of leaked it onto our webpage. But we've created a uh, commodity token called carrots, and they're actually a stablecoin alternative. They're worth about a dollar, and it's basically one dollar share of a diamond commodity sitting at a, in the vault in Delaware. And so that token is like a currency. It's hedged against inflation. It's you know it can float up or down versus a dollar but you can redeem it for a coin. What's special about that is that when you use that for transactions, you're not actually transmitting a currency or a virtual currency even. You're transmitting a commodity. And because you're transmitting a commodity, even if you're doing it internationally, it doesn't trigger the money transmitter licensing requirements. So the thing that we've created with the diamond standard, and it's really the reason for our name, is we're creating a commodity money where it can be used for international transactions. It's always asset backed because those carrots are issued from the physical commodity itself. They're not issued by a sponsor that you have to trust to maintain a peg. Therefore, it's impossible for there to be any leverage. We think this commodity. Uh, token can be used by platforms like Twitter, by gaming platforms like Fortnite, by you know casino games, 
where people are transmitting value between each other, but they're not transmitting currency. So we think that diamonds over the next 10 years will have a third use case. They'll have jewelry investment and as a reserve asset. Interesting. Uh, wow, you're just you're pushing the uh, the envelope in all sorts of areas, and you you kind of badmouthed crypto earlier in the episode, which I'm fine with. You know, I, I actually like talking about it because it it brings out you know brings out emotions and feelings in everyone. Um, but you're using that technology, yes, for good. Some, yeah, and I, I think that's what a lot of people miss in the whole crypto blockchain discussion. When you strip away Bitcoin, Ethereum, all those other you know coins that didn't really catch on, uh, there's a useful technology there. It doesn't, um, you know, it's it's kind of like when when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I'm like the blockchain is not the solution to every problem, but it is the solution to some problems, right? And so, yeah. the the fact that you're applying it to some of these use cases is really interesting. Yeah, comparing diamonds to gold. You know, and to preface this, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a tax professional. You know, insert disclaimer here. From what I understand, gold is subject to like a collectibles tax rate in the United States. So it's twenty-eight percent for a long-term capital gain, um, which is brutal. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I think that's brutal. You know, uh, is di are diamonds subject to the collectibles? Yes, diamonds oh, okay. in the U.S. are are taxed as a collectible subject to 28%. Uh, one thing that we did that was, we think, uh, really beneficial to investors, we actually built a vault with Brinks in Delaware because they didn't keep their gold in Delaware because gold is not taxable in New York. So the Brinks vaults are all in New York for the gold, but we convinced them to build a vault for us in Delaware so at least there's no sales tax because otherwise diamonds would also be subject to sales tax. So 90, I think 96% of our clients are holding their commodities in Delaware. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you know, talking about everything you've already done as a company, as well as your roadmap, things in motion, uh, I have to ask, how are you guys funded? Are you, are you VC backed? I mean, it's, it seems like, you know, there's some serious brain power, but also capital. You know, we're talking yeah. about a facility being, you know, built, managed by Brinks. Um, could you, are, are you willing to share any of that information sure. about who's backing? Um, I'm the largest investor. This is, like I said, this is my seventh company and I've had six exits before this to public companies. So I was the largest investor and I always put my money where my mouth is, mm -hmm. but because of that, we were able to get a lot of other investors. We have about a hundred investors actually total. Uh, we've raised over 50 million, um, in the last three years, our largest investor is Horizon Kinetics which is a, a great asset manager. Um, you know, they like Bitcoin. In fact, they were the really the largest investor in Bitcoin, I think in 2012 or something. Mm -hmm. They were the first big investor in GBTC and the largest one. So they rode Bitcoin up and down, um, but real innovative investor in oil wells and leases and, and all kinds of things. Um, we have a couple of venture capital funds that are investors. Left Lane is a $2 billion fund, a lot of people know, and uh, Protagonist, which is a Web3 fund down in Miami. And then mostly other, most of the other investors are, are generally hedge fund types. 
uh, because I've you know spent many years in the hedge fund industry. I, I have a lot of friends in, in that space. And for them, you know, a half million dollar check or a million dollar check is uh, is a party favor. Yeah, sure. No, I I get it. Um, well, we've talked about the different types of investable products in terms of the physical products. We've talked about the tokens. Um, but from what I understand, you also offer a fund for accredited investors. Um, yes. Obviously, the audience for this show is accredited investors and family offices and advisors. So, you know, we're familiar with those kind of funds, but what would be the appeal of investing in the fund that you offer versus, you know, investing in the tokens? Yeah, well, well most people invest directly in the commodity and the benefit of that is liquidity mm-hmm. okay. because you can buy and sell your commodity 24 hours a day. We built our own exchange where you can, you can trade. And, and um, however, the big draw for the fund have, has always been in retirement accounts. So an IRA cannot hold diamonds. It cannot hold collectibles in general. In fact, it can really only hold government-issued gold uh, in most cases, as far as I understand. But I, an IRA cannot hold diamond commodities, but they can hold a fund. It's a titled security. So we brought together actually Horizon Kinetics, our investor, which also they also manage an ETF called INFL, which is companies that benefit from inflation. Essentially, it's done very well. Uh, they co-manage the fund with us, and we provide that custody in Delaware, so it's tax-free and very efficient. And we created this vehicle that's turned out to be quite popular with retirement accounts and also RIAs who want to offer a titled security. And because we had that fund, we also started offering separately managed accounts. So we have a number of larger RIA firms that create basically their own internal fund or their internal allocation. And they have therefore a mix of liquidity because they can still sell the commodity, but through a managed account, they can create a titled security vehicle for their RIA clients. Understood. So that that use case for the the fund, the SMAs, that makes sense to access them, access this asset class through a retirement account. But so you mentioned the physical, the bars and coins, those are the most popular. Are are investors taking physical delivery like they would if they bought, you know, gold off of Atmex? Or, you know, is there you have a storage program where they can buy it? About 4% of clients actually take delivery. We have a lot of clients who might buy 10 coins mm-hmm. and they'll say, send me one because I want to show it to my wife or I want yeah. to show it to my friends. And so I was really surprised by how many clients requested that. So they'll have one that they can show and tell, but the rest are in custody. And the benefit of diamonds, because they're so small, the custody fees are really a fraction of what they are for gold. Mm. And so and what we provide is we have we created a trust company in, in Delaware that administers the custody, but the, the bars and coins are still titled in the name of the individual investors. So they're completely bankruptcy remote. Um, but once they're in that custody, that enables you to trade them 24 hours a day using those tokens. But if you want to, you can take delivery at any time. And so how does I get how does the investor then 
you know, pay for the ongoing storage fee, you know, insurance, obviously storing these, having custody of them has a cost associated, right? Because that's yeah. why most investors, I think that's smart to to say, oh, I'll take one to show my wife or my husband, but I'd ra probably rather leave storing this to you guys or to Brinks or whoever, you know, yeah. the experts. So our, our trust charges $30 per year per coin. So that's about $5,000 worth or $200 per bar, okay. which is almost $50,000 worth. It charges that for the custody and the insurance and uh, the tradability. So people prepay per year for custody. If they forget to pay, they can't take it out until they pay up, but they don't lose the asset. Um, you know, we'll, we basically will pay the custody for them if they forget. But then, and then we'll when they then when they go to sell it, that's what debited against that yeah, settlement. They, well, they don't. They have to prepay us before because we don't sell it for them. Okay. But they have to prepay the custody before we release it. Understood. Understood. So we're not too worried. We have uh, the ultimate security. Well, Cormac, this is this is fascinating. We're almost out of time, but you know, I I want to ask, wh what do you see in the future? You know, I know there's certain things that you can't even really answer in terms of uh, you know, ETF approval, you know, certain things like that. But where do you see this market going? Your company going in the next few years? Well, we think this is a huge market. You know, diamonds, as I said, 1.2 trillion. We think that 15% of all the world's diamonds are going to be commoditized through this asset. That's almost 200 billion worth. Uh, so we're going to be pretty busy. We're right now building our second assembly facility. It's right here in New York um, because we need more capacity. We're also starting to recycle diamonds. So we're going to be opening later this year our first recycling center. And we think it's a huge benefit to society that we're going to buy back diamonds at a fair price. You know, mm. you're not selling them to a pawn shop. You're selling them to a regulated company audited by Deloitte that's trading on the CME. And we're going to buy back diamonds to put into our commodities. And this asset is, is it's an interesting asset. It's the correlation is what really surprised me. Diamonds have 0.0, .0 correlation to gold or silver. And obviously, they have very little to no correlation to stocks and bonds. So it's the ultimate diversifier. Uh, and we think, and the volatility of diamonds has been about 3% per year. Part of that is because they've always been outside of the financial markets, as you pointed out. And as they become more popular, you know, liquidity correlates everything. If people need right. money, they sell everything. Right. I think there's a big upside for diamonds. There's also, you know, there's also troubles ahead, you know, we didn't touch on. I don't want to only give the upside. Mm -hmm. um, you know, synthetic diamonds are a threat to diamonds. And in fact, in the last six months, diamond prices have gone down uh, somewhat consistently. And because there was an oversupply in, this, in the end of COVID and China didn't come back, China was growing 9% per year in, in buying jewelry and diamonds. And when that didn't come back, there was a real oversupply in the diamond market, which is now getting worked through. We think by the end of this year, diamond prices will actually start resuming uh, the return that they were having kind of in the first half of COVID. But I think long-term is what I look at over 10 years. I think it's inevitable, it's already started, that investors buy more diamonds. As we have listed products, those investors are going to include 
sovereign wealth funds, pensions and endowments and ETFs. And that demand, I, I'm a simple guy. I look at supply and demand. Mm -hmm. The supply of diamonds is not increasing because they haven't discovered a new diamond mine in over 20 years. And the demand increasing from investors uh, is going to have an impact on prices. So how worried should investors be about that whole synthetic, you know, aspect? That's not something that I know a lot about, but that would be the one kind of wild card in the supply yeah. demand equation, right? I think it's a short-term shock. And, you know, for example, there's been synthetic sapphires and rubies for 40 years. And the demand for sapphires and rubies has never been stronger. Their prices have never been higher. So it's a shock to the system. And what you're seeing are a lot of retailers started selling synthetic side by side with natural. And originally they had like a 30% discount. Mm -hmm. That discount is now 95%. And so the, the retailers are realizing if I offer synthetic diamonds, number one, they have no resale value. The moment you buy a, a lab-grown diamond, it's worthless. You couldn't sell it for hardly anything. But for the retailer, they've now given up all their revenue. And they're really can't possibly make a, a they may make a high margin on synthetic diamonds, but they don't make an actual profit because the transactions become so small. So a lot of um, jewelers are now pushing out synthetic diamonds. A lot of consumers are realizing they have no resale. And we think that once we start buying back diamonds, when you walk into a jewelry store, you're going to realize, I, I prefer to have a natural diamond that has a resale value, the same way like a Rolex watch has a very high resale value. We think pretty soon we're going to establish that same concept for diamonds because we need so many, we have to buy them from consumers. And when you're buying them, is it pretty efficient to uh, determine you know, this is an organic diamond versus a synthetic. Is there any risk that a synthetic diamond ends up in one of these bars or coins? No. So every diamond that we buy is graded twice by two competing gem labs, the GIA and the IGI. And, you know, your girlfriend can't tell the difference between a synthetic diamond and natural. And it's, and it's true. They're chemically the same, but natural diamonds grow underground over literally hundreds of thousands of years layer by layer and synthetic diamonds are grown basically in six weeks and that difference in the in the crystal lattice of the diamonds is very apparent mm. using equipment this gemological equipment that does that can detect lab grown diamonds i've never heard of a synthetic diamond getting through a gem lab um so we're not you know we're very very confident and that's obviously a big key to defending the value of natural diamonds is that they're in, they're very easily distinguished from from synthetic but only in the lab. Mm. See I thought that might be a tough question turned out to be a, a softball, you know, much ado about nothing. Uh but I, I think I'm glad we discussed it because I think it's a question that probably a lot of you know kind of everyday people who aren't too familiar with this market it's a question that a lot of people are going to have, right? Yeah. So synthetic diamonds in the last 3 years have fallen by 99% wow. in the wholesale market. <laughs> there's there's nothing like the real thing, right, Cormac? I mean, I'll, I'll keep it PG, but there's just, there's nothing like the real thing. Yes, I agree. <laughs>
So Cormac, I appreciate all your insights today. I mean, not only on your company, but just giving me a crash course into this asset class, into this market. For our audience of high net worth investors and family office who'd like to learn more, where can they go to learn more about Diamond Standard? Just go to diamondstandard.co.co. We have a huge amount of, of research, institutional materials, and a lot of uh, content, Any everything, and including 20-year price history of the Diamond Standard Index, which a lot of quants use for their uh, analysis. Yep. And one more plug just to our audio listeners, make sure to check out this YouTube version of this episode. Cormac shows these products in the first couple minutes of the recording. They're really, they're quite visually arresting. Uh, I think everybody's going to want to see these. So obviously we'll link to that YouTube in our show notes, which are always available at wealthchannel.com. Cormac, thanks again for joining the show today. Thank you, Andy. It was my pleasure. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.